0: everyone and happy new year welcome to hr works brought to you by blr i'm your host steve bruce hr works provides clear relevant actionable information on topics that matter to hr professionals when you're armed with best practices plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance hr works for years of course HR managers have been working to eliminate discrimination against women in the workplace. And, not to suggest that that's no longer worry, but today as women leaders progress in the workplace, they often face more subtle barriers that hold them back from fulfilling their true potential. To help us understand these barriers better, we've asked Cynthia Sachs to join us. She's the Senior Vice President Consulting Services at Caliper, a global employee assessment and organizational effectiveness firm. Her passion and the focus of her work is on identifying the potential within each person and supporting the fulfillment of that potential through individual, team, and organization-wide initiatives. In addition to leading Caliper's assessment and organizational development consulting practices, Cindy is also leading Caliper's Women's Leaders Program, a talent development program which draws on the firm's research into the unique attributes, behaviors, and challenges that women leaders face in today's business environment. Cindy, welcome to HR Works.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. So
0: let's begin by talking about four particular barriers that you have identified. The first one uh, is, is what you call organizational savvy, the Old Boy Club. Can you tell us what you mean by that?
1: I sure can. So organizational savvy really has to deal with how one copes with the reality of organizational politics. Every office place has them, and they can manifest themselves in different ways in the organization based on how the culture has evolved. Every organization has formal ways of doing things, the policies and procedures, the cadence of meetings and people who attend those meetings, organizational savvy has as much to do with learning how to navigate those personal roles and responsibilities and meetings and find one's place in it as it does with those informal, normally unspoken ways of doing things. So it's understanding who the influencer in decisions might be, or who has a relationship with someone else, or what happens in the meeting after the meeting, Uh, what language is appropriate and understood by everyone in the room and what uh, language is not uh, as effective or understood. And the reason that this tends to be Uh, more of a challenge for women than men in the workplace comes from multiple sources. Uh, Our research shows that women tend to be less comfortable navigating those politics than men are. And that may in part be because since historically, traditionally, there have been more men at senior levels of the organization, In fact, even today, there are more men at the senior levels of an organization than there are women. It's the male perspective that has shaped those environmental, political, cultural kinds of factors. And so what they have found to be comfortable and acceptable may cause a woman to feel as if she is outside of that inner circle or group and that she has a harder time breaking in and figuring out how to find her place or her voice in that situation because it is uh, dominated or shaped by the male voice.
0: Okay, I see that. Now, the um, the second one you mentioned, uh, the second barrier is called perceptions of performance. What, what's yeah. going on there?
1: Perceptions of performance is when... A person believes, in this case a woman believes, that because she is a woman, she must outperform the men in the organization in order to be considered equally as effective. In other words, there is a subjective quality to the way her performance is being evaluated, that she has to do more, better, faster, to be smarter to be more assertive or aggressive or urgent to deliver greater results than her male counterparts do. And in most cases, this isn't dealing with what her actual performance is. It's dealing with that perception, as the title suggests it does, that she thinks that other people are judging her performance differently, and perhaps they are, because they are that, it, um, And I'll come back to the word voice, because I think if we use voice both um, in terms of one's, the quality, actual physical quality, sound quality of one's voice, as well as how that is heard in an organization, it's, it's frequently uh, either a gentler, softer voice or one that is not as often heard. And so the perception of performance says I have to be better than the men are in order to have the same impact, the same recognition, achieve the same level of success, again, just because I'm a woman, if everything else were equal.
0: I see. Uh, your third barrier you mentioned, uh, work and family life conflicts. How does that fit in?
1: This is a big one for women, and I will say that women alone um, are not the only ones that feel a conflict between their responsibilities at work and the responsibilities to their family. They um, traditionally have held more of the responsibility for managing their uh, household and family commitments and schedule and so on and so forth. And work-family conflict uh, barriers or challenges are those that are related to that. And they can take on a couple of different shapes and forms. On one hand, a woman may have feelings of guilt for not spending enough time with her family because of work. Uh, And this is not just relevant for women who have small children at home. It can be commitments to their partner or commitments to their aging parents, or commitments to their pets, anything having to do with their household, um, can cause them to feel as if they're taking something away from those responsibilities by focusing on work and have a feeling of guilt about it, not necessarily because anyone's told them to feel guilty, but it's almost like a self-generated feeling of guilt. And I can share with you anecdotally from my experience that just about every woman that I've spoken to or whom I've uh, reported back results of surveys uh, in this area and how she has stated it impacts her, her world, this is one that really, really resonates with many women. The second way that it can impact a woman and cause that feeling of conflict is when they feel as if their family responsibilities are interfering with work so the first one is I feel like my work is interfering enough with my family that I feel guilty about it the second one is the flip side of that that because she's focusing on her family life or responsibilities it's taking away somehow from her ability to be impactful in the office that she's not doing as much as she could be that she should be doing more I'll share a personal story about this one with you Steve sure Uh, I had a new grandchild born on Monday just a few days ago and we'll be congratulations today thank you (laughs) we'll be leaving work tonight to spend a long weekend with my family and get to meet my new grandson and then after that I'll be flying to another location for a leadership development workshop with a client, and then going home. And uh, I, I actually found myself today feeling pulled in two different directions by having to put off a telephone call with a prospective client Not because she was suggesting that it had to happen next week, but because I wasn't going to interrupt the time that I have with my new grandchild to take care of business. And it was only by going through quite a process of thinking about where my values really lied and how I was going to focus my time that I came to a place where I decided I I wasn't going to interrupt the time with my family in order to take care of a business Um, challenge that can wait till the following week Um, and and I just share that as a way to make that come alive for the listeners today to understand the kind of parameters that that often influence that particular challenge for women
0: the fourth barrier is the uh, stereotype threat can you explain that to the listeners
1: this one's a little tricky and so bear with me while I explain it. And please feel free to ask any clarifying questions, Steve, if I'm, if I'm not explaining it clearly. Stereotype threat can happen not just to women, but to anyone who identifies with a group that would be considered a minority. So it can happen based on gender, as we're talking about today. It could also be based on one's race, or ethnicity, or age, or appearance. In this case, we're talking about women who perceive that there are expectations of how they might behave according to a stereotype. So, for let's use as an example for women, it might be that they should be uh, nurturing of other people, and that that nurturing quality is continued is considered frequently to be one associated with with being a woman and because there's that stereotype of behavior a woman may subconsciously engage in the kind of activity or behavior that that stereotype suggests even if it's not something that she might prefer to do or be so inclined to do. So in other words, she might feel as if she needs to care for a coworker worker um, if they're behaving in a certain way. Or she may feel as if she should respond emotionally to something because the stereotype is that women are more um, emotional in, about the way they respond to stressors. Or she may find it difficult to go toe-to-toe with a man in a negotiation because stereotypically she feels as if women are supposed to submit to men and allow the man to be the more aggressive, dominant personality. The point is that it's not something that she might choose, and it may not even be something that she can, that she is aware of, just that she's conforming with that expectation, that stereotype, believing that there might be a negative impact if, be- if she behaves in ways that go against that. It can cause women anxiety, first of all, over being treated in a way that's stereotypical, even if she has almost made it a self-fulfilling prophecy. It can cause her to underperform or to actually reinforce those stereotype behaviors by conforming to them. And it can also reduce women's aspirations for leadership roles to hold them back from throwing their hat in the ring or for applying for a position or aspiring to it or even inquiring into whether she might be considered for a more senior leadership role if she does not think that that's one that would be and I'll use this in quotes, acceptable for a woman.
0: I think that's clear. So that's uh, four barriers, and let's um, talk a little bit now about what to do. What uh, what can women do to cut down on the effects of these barriers?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think first it's really understanding that, um, A, she's not alone, that, Many, many women uh, experience these same potential barriers and obstacles. Um, Caliper didn't pull these four items out of thin air. We actually interviewed women who are successful women leaders across about 60 different industries, and they self-described these potential barriers. So they're in very, very good company, and there's a sense of comfort, I think, that comes from knowing that um, you're not alone. The second is, I I think, to really be conscious of what choices she might have and what strengths she possesses that she can draw upon in order to be able to overcome those barriers. Um, Again, our research has shown that uh, resiliency is extremely important, so making sure that um, if it doesn't come naturally to her, that she develops some skills, a support network, some resources, some ways of dealing with setbacks when they do happen so that she can bounce back more quickly and instead of uh, allowing that to hold her back for long periods of time, instead to step up and and work over or around that barrier instead of allowing it to, to get in her way. Um, which women often do. And then I think the third thing is um, by understanding that we're all going to face barriers sooner or later, it, it gives us an opportunity, whether it's this example of barriers or anything else, to think about how we want to show up in those situations when it does. So if we're feeling guilty about having to take a business trip and leaving our family with another caregiver, uh, how are we going to deal not only with our own guilt, but also to make sure that our family is well cared for? If we find it that we're being left out of a meeting and suspect that it might be because you're a woman and everyone else in the room is a man, how can you assert yourself to gain a seat at that table, and when you're at that table, what are some things that you can do to ensure that your voice is heard and valued? Um, so, really, thinking about what your strategy is and then developing the skills that you need in order to be able to overcome them. Um, we also feel very strongly about self care. It, it sounds almost like a platitude today to say it because I think it's sometimes overused, but we can't care for other people or contribute to the best possible level of success uh, in our organizations if we're not first taking care of ourselves. So understanding the causes and impact of stress, understanding the connection between our minds and our bodies, understanding what our personal triggers are, and ways to mitigate the impact that stress has on us will allow us to show up as the best possible version of ourselves when it's the hardest to do that, which are the times when we're under stress. So we also really encourage our clients to think not only about those compensating mechanisms, but also um, about self-care, about mindfulness, and about ways that they can better manage their stress.
0: So those are um, internal things, I guess I would say, that women can do. And what about... uh, proactive steps that women can take with their coworkers to uh, inform them better about these barriers and how to combat them?
1: So you're talking about how women can advocate on behalf of other women in the organization? Is that what your question is getting to, Steve? Yes. Yeah, so um, I would say first to accept the responsibility or accountability for doing that and to to take the frame of reference or create a frame of reference that in doing so one can um, influence change rather than allowing herself to stay in the victim box and allow it to happen to her. So by by stepping into that area of responsibility, I think it's a really empowering situation for women. We recommend things like creating a woman's circle in your organization, um, a voluntary group that other women could join where you might be able to talk about the challenges that you've, you've encountered, share stories about it, not just in what happened, but most importantly, how you overcame it or how you might overcome it, and to be able to learn from the other women in the group to be able to do that. Um, I think the important thing there is not to allow that to become a pointing fingers or placing blame scenario. Um, that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help women, and it doesn't help the organization. So not to have the mindset of, of a victim, but rather, an, again, an empowering environment. Um, women learn from each other, and while those networks exist both formally and informally in organizations, in traditional male ways. Um, I think for women to create one on their own allows them to be a little bit more proactive about how they can find that same kind of support that has traditionally been available for men. Uh, So that that would be one. I also think it's not just individual women's responsibilities to change this. It's a business problem, not a woman's problem. We know that financial business results are significantly higher for organizations that have greater female representation on their boards of directors and in their senior leadership positions. So if an organization doesn't already have a proactive diversity plan for um, developing potential women leaders and promoting them, it would behoove them to do so. Again, not just because it's the right thing to do for a significant Population of our employees that happen to be women, but also, again, because we know that diversity leads to greater business results. So I I, I would also put some of it on the shoulders of businesses and and not just on women. Um, If you are already a woman leader in your organization and have achieved a level of success, this is a great time to pay it forward by mentoring less senior women in the organization. Um, providing them with not only a safe place that they can share some of their challenges with and get some feedback and advice, but also to be a role model and share with them what some of your stories have been and how you overcame, successfully overcame some of the barriers that she might be encountering or to help her break down some of those barriers. Uh, and I'll just share that, again, a personal story in, in my career, some of the most significant mentors in my career have been men. So while there is something that a woman can, a perspective, that a woman can bring to another woman in a mentoring relationship, there are also some things that men have taught me in particular about how to navigate those organizational politics that I might never have known otherwise. So if you're seeking a mentor, I don't think you only have to seek a male mentor, a female mentor. A male mentor can be just as effective. That's helpful. And it, Yeah, I well, I, I hope so. I, I think the other thing I'd like to add is that we all make impressions on other people and those perceptions that other people have of us is, is very important. Just as You noted that some of the ways of overcoming things could come from within a woman. Some of it comes from outside, and I I think we have as much of a responsibility to help shape the perceptions that others have of us as we do to manage our internal emotional state uh, and feelings as well. So thinking about how our appearance can project the kind of image that we want to support our professional brand, to make sure that we're communicating, speaking in ways that bring the respect that we expect from other people and that we want from other people. To think like leaders and to act like leaders, that only strengthens a woman's ability to be perceived by others as if she is uh, ready for a leadership position and capable of of assuming those responsibilities.
0: So are there any... um specific steps that you would recommend that an HR department or or management, I guess, uh, should take to help eliminate these barriers?
1: I think it comes down to organizational culture. Just as on the individual level, it's important for us to have that self-awareness. I think on an organizational level, that awareness is, is just as important um, you can formally survey that with an employee engagement or culture survey to better, better understand uh, the degree to which these barriers might exist for your, your employees um, to then be able to decide how you're going to approach it. So I don't, I don't think there's necessarily one-size-fits-all in terms of how an organization might go about solving those problems. First, we have to know what are the challenges and how do they manifest themselves in this particular organization. And then to think about what are the best ways that we can go about removing them. So whether it's with um, training and education on diversity, whether it's about um, re-looking at the company's values or guiding principles and how employees speak to each other and treat each other, whether it's about looking at programs that are offered to all, all employees to remove some of those barriers, like the work, bringing some balance between work and life, and setting expectations about um, emails on the weekend, and how, how do we handle things that happen outside of usual business hours, and what kind of flexibility for time off policies do we have, so that those formal policies and procedures support the, the needs of today's workplace, again, not just for women, but for their male employees as well. Um, and, and we know that some of these same issues, by the way, are, are coming up for millennial employees who have very different expectations about um, the kind of work environment that they desire for themselves and the balance that they have between their work and their family. And then, lastly, to make sure that there's a no tolerance uh, policy at the organization for any kind of blatant discrimination or stereotyping so that it leaves room for all employees to be able to um, really be developed to their greatest potential and to be able to contribute to the organization in the best possible ways.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that's
1: a long-winded way of saying to think outside of the box in terms of diversity programs. While they serve their purpose um, most definitely and can be extremely valuable, it, it's really important, I think, to to think beyond just the traditional diversity programs.
0: Okay. I gather Caliper has done research into the unique attributes, behaviors, and challenges that women leaders face in today's business environment. So what are some of the findings that you've had there, and how does it help women and their companies?
1: Yeah, great. So if we talk about what some of those unique characteristics are from a personality perspective and um, understanding how personality impacts the world of work is is one of Caliper's areas of expertise. So um, after 50 years of experience, um, what our research tells us, first of all, is that for successful women leaders, there's not a significant difference in the personality attributes or behaviors that contribute to their success as their male counterparts. And that um, women have, I I would say that personality can be an equal opportunity factor, and that women possess some of these attributes and motivators and competencies um, to similar degrees as, as their male counterparts are. They tend to, successful women leaders tend to be assertive. They tend to be persuasive in their communication style and motivated by that persuasive process. They tend to be um, able to bounce back and bring that natural level of resilience. They're, they're people persons without going overboard with being distracted by the social aspects of work. They're, they're capable of and comfortable Building and maintaining professional relationships at all levels of an organization. When it comes to how a woman personality can contribute to overcoming some of those barriers, we also have some key indicators, and they they vary from by by barrier by challenge. But um, what I can say is that. Our research shows that when certain traits come together to form behaviors, they can either support or derail a woman's efforts to overcome those barriers. So for example, if a woman is facing that barrier of organizational savvy, um, how to navigate the old boys' network, um, we know that assertiveness, straightforward communication style, being comfortable building relationships with others, questioning the motives of those around her um, while remaining steady or level in her reaction, will allow her to um, it will allow her to rely upon natural compensating mechanisms to a greater degree than a woman who doesn't possess those same attributes. It doesn't mean other women can't, but they have to be more mindful of developing compensating mechanisms then. For work-family conflict, we know that women who bring a, a level of um, ability to look at things from a kind of from a cognitive perspective, to think their way through things, to rely on their self-discipline, to build structures and plans, and determine how to make things happen in a, a, a planful and also a uh, results-oriented way. And to be open to new ways of doing things can be critical to our success in overcoming work-family conflict issues. And I would just add, last but not least, when it comes to overcoming stereotype threat, that gets to be a little bit trickier. Because what we find is that there's a correlation with which the degree, the degree to which a woman identifies with her gender can influence the degree to which she might be susceptible to stereotype threat. And so when we take that into consideration with her emotional energy reserves, with her tolerance for stress, again, with her ability to assert her point of view and to be uh, empathic to others, all those things tend to come together to help a woman overcome stereotype threat. The other thing that's really interesting about this one is that the less rules-oriented a woman is, the more likely it is that she will not be as susceptible to stereotype threat as someone who is more of a rules follower. And so when you think about, as young girls, Many women traditionally were raised to, to be good girls, to, to do what people asked you to do, to follow the system, not to rock the boat, so to speak. And that can translate into a really strong drive for or need for um, compliance with rules. What we've been talking about today is how do we break down those barriers? How do we create new rules and new ways of doing things? And so in order to drive that kind of change, one can't be held back by doing things the same way we've always done it. So we actually find that women who have lower levels of that that um, desire or tendency to align with uh, traditional right and wrong ways of doing things have an easier opportunity of overcoming those stereotype threats. This
0: is all very interesting. I, I also understand you use assessments in your programs. And what sorts of things do you measure and how does that help you?
1: Well, in our Women Leaders program, we use, uh, we have two different kinds, actually three different kinds of assessments. The first is the Caliper Profile, which is a personality assessment. Caliper Profile measures how personality might impact job performance. So it helps us understand how those innate characteristics that drive our behaviors and our competencies, um, how they may show up at at work, and that in turn can help us understand not only what our full potential is on the job and how we can uh, live into that potential, but what type of work are we best suited for. Uh, Our research shows that there's a correlation between one's personality uh, and job performance as well as job satisfaction. So it, it can be used... To help one under uh, kind of underscore and diagnose areas related to job performance and job potential. Um, the other assessments or surveys that we use for uh, in our Women Leaders Program do two things. One is that they they measure um, a woman's preference for different styles of leadership. In particular, we're looking at transformational versus transactional leadership styles. Transactional leadership style is one that kind of led us through the industrial revolution. It tends to be very focused on external motivations for getting things done, external rewards and punishments for getting one's job done. And today our research shows that uh, one of the only work environments that that style of leadership, uh, telling people what to do and how to do it, and measuring how many of those things they get done and the quality of of each of those products is very effective in a production manufacturing environment. It doesn't translate quite so well into the more complex business environments that many of us work in, uh, in service industries and in technology um, in particular. tends to be, the leadership style that tends to be more effective in those organizations is a transactional style in which the leader's role is really to provide direction, to gain buy-in to the company's vision and strategies, and then to motivate employees to solve problems themselves, to be engaged in their work, to perhaps take things one step further. It's an empowering, inspirational leadership style. And so we survey our women leaders' participants to provide them with some feedback on what their preferred leadership style is and how that might sync up with the work environment that they're in so that they can um, find ways of either uh, relying upon their natural preferences to display that kind of style of leadership or develop those competencies. And then the third survey that we employ is one to really diagnose for each one of our women participants um, how each of them have experienced the barriers that we talked about today. How often has the organizational savvy shown up? And then not only how frequently has it shown up for them, but what impact does it have for them? How much stress does it cause her? And we'll then create a custom report for her that discusses the personality attributes. It addresses her experience with the barriers and challenges that we've discussed today. It also reports on her leadership, preferred leadership style, and we'll help her weave all those things together to better understand where her greatest opportunities for leveraging her strengths are, as well as some strategies for overcoming those potential barriers.
0: Yeah, well that sounds like a great program for uh anyone to go through, I think. I'm wondering now if if a listener wants to uh address these challenges and they're going to have to sell a program to management, um what would what would you say uh about about selling it and uh and how it will improve organizational effectiveness?
1: Look, I think it comes back to the fact that when every one of our employees is engaged in their work and being developed to their greatest potential, organizations are going to be the most effective. And so looking at the organization's philosophy for developing their employees would be a great starting point. Combining that with an evaluation of their their current human resource policies and procedures and the results of their engagement survey are going to come point them in a certain direction and let them know whether or not this, in fact, would be an important um, opportunity for them to be addressing. I often get asked whether uh, a woman leadership program is not only necessary, but is it the only way to develop women leaders? And, and I would say it's not the only way to develop women leaders. That Other kinds of leadership development programs, whether they be geared towards high potential employees or uh, newly promoted managers are effective across the board for, for employees in that kind of position regardless of whether they're men or women. The reason that a woman leader's program can be effective is because it specifically should target those unique barriers and challenges that, that women encounter so that it levels the playing field.
0: Cindy, this has all been very uh, helpful and interesting. Do you have any final thoughts to, to sum this all up that you'd like to share?
1: I think I'd just say that it's, there are a couple things that really stand out for me in terms of important messages to take away for women. Uh, one is make sure that if you aren't already self-aware, that you develop the self-awareness of your unique personality, um, your career aspirations, because there's no one-size-fits-all here, and and how you uniquely define success. Um, secondly, that a woman really understand what her stress triggers are and what the potential barriers are that she's encountering and the kinds of results that she's currently getting when she encounters those barriers. So a question I might ask myself is, am I getting the kinds of results that I want to get, or are there certain things that have either come up for me once or twice, or more importantly, those that come up more frequently or regularly for me, when that happens, do I have ways of overcoming those to get the results that are best for me and best for my organization? And if the answer is no, then the next step would be really developing strategies for, coming over, for overcoming those setbacks. Sometimes one can do that by herself. Sometimes one can do that by plugging into or requesting other kinds of developmental opportunities. Uh, Sometimes it's taking responsibility herself for whether it's establishing a women's circle in her organization or taking advantage of materials that are available in the library online or seeking out a special women leadership development program. Um, Any of those things can be an important step. In really defining ways and building skills for overcoming those setbacks and then last but not least it's a combination of self-care caring for ourselves so that we can care for others and being proactive and assuming responsibility for shaping other people's perceptions of us not in a manipulative way but in a way that allows us to really make the best positive first impression and to show that the rest of the organization that we have what it takes to be a leader and to start developing that followership.
0: Cindy, this has all, all just been great. Thanks so much for joining us today and providing these very helpful tips.
1: You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure.
0: Listeners, please let me know what HR Works should cover next. sbruce at blr.com Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.